a two-part lesson. So we covered uh, the beginning last week, and we're going to try to conclude that this week. We're going to be looking at various scriptures, uh, Matthew chapter 20, John chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to be for this morning. Um, We're talking about the fundamentals of our, of our faith, and of course, one of those fundamentals is the coming of Christ. Um, if it was not for the coming of Christ, we would not have a faith, would we? I mean, our faith is based upon Christ coming to earth, then suffering on the cross, dying for our sins, and then resurrecting, and then our salvation based upon those facts. So if Christ had not come to earth, then it would be hollow. And our faith would be vain. When we think of Christ, oftentimes a variety of things come to mind. Uh, some think of uh, the miraculous birth that he had that was prophesied. We looked at last week in Isaiah chapter 7. Some remember the miracles that he performed. Nicodemus recalled that only one from God could do the miracles that Christ performed. Others think of his wonderful teaching ability. Uh, even the officer of the chief priest said, no man ever spoke like this. But really any discussion would be incomplete without considering the death and resurrection of Christ. All the things that Christ did were wonderful. But it all culminated in the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we consider the coming of Christ again this morning, then... We should also remember why he came. Given his sacrifice and his position, we're to heed his words and we're to submit to his authority. When we look at John, he tells us that I have come unto the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John chapter 12 and verse 46. He also tells us that we'll be judged by the words that he had. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. John 12 and 48. So when we're looking at Christ, some of these things that we're going to discuss this morning are very important to us, very dear to us. We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 20, looking at verse 17. And we'll read here about Jesus' prediction. It says that, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus' prediction here of his death, his burial and his resurrection. Remember that when the women came to the tomb on that Sunday morning, they found it empty. And it caused confusion for them. Just as anyone else, if we were to go to a tomb, well, what do we expect to find? Well, we expect to find someone who passed away, right? So, so we do not expect to go and find an empty tomb. But we have to remember that these are these are really an opportunity that they overlooked. 
Christ talked about this and he predicted this. We just read the fact that he told them that Christ is going to be turned over to the, to the Jews, that he was going to be flogged, that he was going to suffer, that he was going to be put to death, crucified. And then he said that he's going to be raised on the third day. But when they went on the third day to find him, they were surprised he wasn't there. So just as many of us, a lot of times when we're talking to people, I'm bad, I'm sure everybody else is too, but we hear, but do we really listen? My wife tells me no. She says, I don't listen to some of the things that she says because I'm always thinking about the next thing. I'm not following the thing that she's talking about at that point in time. we think we're listening but we're not and that's what happened here Christ told the disciples Christ told the apostles that he was going to be raised on the third day but when this occurred they were surprised they were confused they didn't understand but the angel of the tomb reminded them as, it, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground the men said to them why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here but is risen Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. In Luke 24, 5-7. When Christ specifically talked about these things. As we looked at in Matthew 20, he said, The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes. Not only the fact that he would be delivered to them, he actually identified the ones who he would be delivered to. He also said that they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And it did happen in that order. If we remember the trial that Christ had with high priest, then the unanimous vote of the men there was that he deserved death. They accused him of blasphemy. And then after that, they turned him over to the Gentiles because the Jews could not carry out a death sentence. Being under Roman government, they did not have the authority to do that. So they had to turn Christ over to the Romans and try to get the Romans to do that. And then, of course, that was eventually done. We talk about the fact that Christ predicted this, but we have to realize that Christ was many things, right? Christ was the Messiah. Christ is the King of Kings. But Christ was also a prophet. We read about prophets in the Bible, we understand prophets were determined because if they said what God told them to do and it came true, then they were prophets, right? If they said that God told them to do something and it did not come true, then people knew they were not prophets, right? They were false. But Christ being divine, Christ being part of the Godhead, Christ being a prophet, then what he predicted was going to absolutely come true. 
and did so. We read Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Words of Moses. Moses predicted there would be a prophet similar to him that would arise among the Jewish people. This was the prophet that the people were to look for. But, as happens with people all the time, time passes by, we forget. Things that were important to us today are not quite so important 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. It was 1,400 years before this came true. So the people had lost sight of what they were supposed to be looking for. They did not recognize Christ, the Messiah, the prophet, when he came. The fact that their lives had changed and their society had changed, then they weren't looking for a prophet who was true to what Moses had said. They were looking for a prophet who would be true to what they wanted. Now their lifestyle had adjusted. That's what they were looking for. That's what they wanted to see. So when the prophet came, when Christ was here, they didn't recognize him, they didn't respond to him because he was not what they wanted him to be. He's often spoken of as a prophet many times in the New Testament and referred back to the one that Moses spoke about. On one occasion, priests and Levites in Jerusalem went to John the Baptist and inquired as to whether he was the Christ. We see that in John 1, 19-23. John then denied being the long-awaited Messiah, and then the priests and Levites asked him, when they asked him, are you a prophet? I wanted to know if John was the prophet that Moses had spoke about. That's what they were asking. When they came to ask John if he was a prophet, they didn't ask him, are you a prophet? They asked him, are you the prophet? And John said, no, that's not me. He said, there's going to come one later who's going to be greater than me. Jesus himself claimed to be this long-awaited prophet that they were seeking. In John 5, 45-47, he said, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you, set you, you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Christ is telling them, you claim to be of Moses. You claim Moses is your father, your prophet. But Moses wrote about me, told you of me. He instructed you to look for me. But yet you won't listen to my words. So, yes. When Luke recounted this in Luke 18, mm-hmm. a lot of what he said in verse 34 pertains to what you said about them not understanding right. what his purpose was. And they were looking for a physical deliverer at this time. Right. And, uh, and uh, in verse 18, after he tells them all this, uh, one version of it says, uh, But the twelve understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he was saying. They 
Yeah, and not what they were looking for. I've talked about not, not understanding even the apostles of what Christ was doing and who he was. They had had 1,400 years of looking for someone who was going to lead them to a kingdom like David had. They wanted to be a physical kingdom. They wanted to be respected in the world. They wanted to be feared by other nations. That's what they were looking for. But when the kingdom was prophesied, it wasn't, didn't talk about a physical kingdom. It talked about a spiritual kingdom. And that's what we see today. The result of Christ's work is the establishment of the church. And the spiritual kingdom of God. You no longer have to be, as we talked about last week, born of Jewish blood to be a child of Abraham. You can be the child of Abraham by faith. And that's what ultimately was the purpose of this. Christ was a prophet, but he was even more. It was God in the flesh. On the Mount of Transfiguration, our Lord stood with Moses and Elijah and discussed the impend- his impending death. It was then that the Father reminded Peter who Jesus truly was. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, John 17 and 5. We have to realize, contrary to what the world teaches today, that Jesus is God's final prophet. His final spokesman. When Christ came, we read in John chapter 1, it talks about he was the word. He brought the word directly from the Father, and this is the word. There will not be another. There's no new revelations coming from Christ. There are new prophets coming. No. The world would have us to believe that there are other prophets out there and that they brought a word and that we should follow them. But that contradicts Christ's teaching, does it not? I am the Alpha and the Omega. Christ is the final prophet. There will be no revelations coming from God to us collectively or individually because that would contradict what Christ had taught us. all that points to an earthly kingdom which is not in accordance with the New Testament. And Christ never says he's coming back to earth. He says he's coming back to call us. But we're to meet him in the clouds. It does not say he's coming to physically stand on earth. It does not say he's going to rule on earth. When we look at Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 it says, Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed by heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So as we talked about before, when you read these verses and you begin to break the verses down and look and see what they say, then you begin to glean that information that's in them. 
He says, but in these last days. Okay? We are in the last days. We don't know how long they'll last. We don't know when the end to them will come. But these are the last days. So in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son. It doesn't say He's spoken to us by many prophets. It doesn't say He's going to speak to us by many men. It says He spoke to us by His Son. Singular. One person. One set of words. That's what we have recorded for us. So to say that someone else is being directed by God and giving us new revelations from the Father contradicts the very scriptures that we're given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, prophet, priest, and king. And when we talk about priest, uh, also in the order of Melchizedek, which was a never-ending priesthood. So Christ's priesthood will never cease. And as an established prophet, we can then trust the words that Jesus tells us regarding the prediction of his death. As I said, a true prophet, the prophecies that he spoke came true. And Christ has done that. And then moving along, the second was Jesus' promise. We look at John 12, starting at verse 46. As our Savior, Jesus emphasized the need for us to obey his teachings. He came as a light to save us from the darkness of sin. Verse 46 says, I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If we as obedient believers are able to avoid the darkness, then of course the opposite is also true for those who refuse to believe. Not because Jesus forces them to remain in sin, but because they make the choice to remain in sin. When we look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. And ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So those who choose to remain in sin in the day of judgment will not have any excuse. God says, I have made myself evident for you. All you have to do is open your eyes and you can see. But still there's going to be many who will not. But in the day of judgment... Any excuse they offer is not going to be good enough. Belief and unbelief are not just differing mental states. Faith is not intellectual and spiritual complacency. Like many teach today. Our understanding of Christ and his words requires reading, study, and practice. We have to read to find out what Christ is telling us. Oftentimes we have to study in order to understand what some of that is. Some passages are more difficult than others. And we have to study, we have to cross-reference in other places in the Bible to understand some of these things. And then we have to practice them. It doesn't do me any good to read the Bible if I don't understand what I'm reading. I have to study to find out. It doesn't do me any good to 
study and understand the Bible if I don't put it into practice. We have many in the religious world today that tells you as long as you believe, that's all it takes. But the Bible also tells us that if you see someone hungry and you tell them to go away and be fed, it doesn't do much good, does it? So our religion requires practice. There are things that we have to do, we're required to do. In John 14 and 15, it makes it very plain. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Hard to misunderstand, isn't it? So how do we keep his commandments if we do nothing? I can stay at home and I can believe with all my heart that Christ is the Son of God. But if I never come to church, if I've never given up my means, if I've never helped my neighbor, if I never teach the gospel, how am I keeping the commands of Christ? The entire thought of the passage of keeping the commands implies action. That there are things that we have to do. This promise of salvation from darkness requires our faithful obedience and our willingness to obey should come from our recognition of Jesus' authority and his position. John 12, verse 49, it says, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. As the Lord addresses the multitudes, informs them that when they believe on him, they are believing the Father. When they see Jesus, they are effectively seeing the Father. The idea of Jesus and the Father being one is often brought out in the book of John. The Father and Son are not the same person, yet they are one in purpose. Christ could clearly state that seeing Jesus was seeing the Father, and this means that one purpose was to bring light of the gospel message into a dark world and save it from sin. There will come a day when the Lord Jesus will judge the world and its sinful works, but now is not the time. This is the long-suffering of patience on the part of the Father right now as he waits. Jesus demands our obedient faith or will be judged by the words he has spoken. Man may have changed, but this has not changed through the ages. It will still be true when the end comes. He states the following in John 12, verse 50. It says, And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Life everlasting. There's no end. So this will not change. When Jesus comes to judge mankind of their works, it will be the very words that Jesus spoke while on this earth and to his apostles and prophets that will be judged by. We should be thankful that our hope is not based on the ideas or traditions of men. Diane Woods was quoted to say, Here once more we are privileged to see the importance of doing what the Father says, no more and no less. So when we look back at this, the promise of Christ is that if you do my will, if you obey my commandments, then you will be saved. It seems very simple. But yet, we often have so much trouble with this. 
not just the denominational world, but in the church itself. We have trouble believing that we're going to be saved. But what do we say about Christ? When he says something, is it going to be true? I see one shaking her head. I assume everybody else agrees with that. So Christ's promise was, you do what I say, you will be saved. Okay, moving on. The last part of our lesson is going to be Jesus' resurrection. One of the most important aspects of Jesus' coming horse was his ability to defeat death. When we look at Romans chapter 1 again and verse 4, Paul tells us, He's declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. So his resurrection from the dead helped to declare him the Son of God. That was one of the characteristics of the Messiah, of the Son of God, was going to be his power over death. We talked before about the fact that we saw many people, we saw some people, I guess I won't say many, we saw some people throughout the Bible raised from death by a prophet. But we also pointed out the fact that Jesus is the only one that we see in the Bible who raised himself from the dead. He did not require anyone else. It goes back to the statement. He said that all power and all authority is given unto me. He is essentially the same in authority and in power as the Father because the Father gave that to him. And the reason being, Scripture tells us, is that we would respect the Son just as much as we would respect the Father. Paul notes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the significance of the resurrection. Reading in verses 1 through 4 says, Now I remind you, brothers of the gospel, I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. We look at this verse and we see a little background, I guess, first. Is in the year of 51 AD, Paul made his way through Macedonia and came southward to the city of Corinth. And Paul preached the saving message of the gospel to the Corinthians and many received it. We talked about here in the verse, he talks about, he said, I would remind you brothers of the gospel. So who's he talking to here? He's talking to people who have been converted. People who have been baptized. These were believers in Christ. And then he says, Which you received. I preached to you and you received. When we look at received here, it means to receive by hearsay or report. To learn something. Having learned the gospel message, Paul then states, wherein ye stand. 
to be in a certain state or a certain condition. You have received the gospel that I preached, right? And then in which you stand. So you not only believed it, you received it, but now you practice it. This is a daily thing for you. should be for us. This indicated that the Corinthians' present state past, was, past, was based sorry, on a past action. Their present state based on a past action. Present state is that they are saved based upon their past action of obeying the gospel. And then he clarifies also and says the fact that this current salvation applies only to those who hold fast the word which I preached. So having obeyed the gospel, they were now saved. They continued in that in the work that they did and the practice that we talked about. But he also tells them that this is only valid for those who remain faithful. To hold fast, as he talks about here, is to have in possession to continue a life to master something or understand it. So we receive the gospel, we practice the gospel, we're now to master the gospel. How do we master the gospel? Through study and practice. Unfortunately, many will hear the gospel and obey, however some will not. The one who will not has believed in vain, as he talks about here in this passage. The word believed here indicates a past action without indicating completion. So when he talks about the ones here that will not be, go back to the verse, he says... Unless you believed in vain, is how he worded it. When he talks about that, he's talking about that it's incomplete. You heard the gospel, you believed the gospel, you obeyed the gospel, then you did nothing with it. You went back to your everyday life, and the worldly pleasures and the worldly cares overtook you. You had the treasure in your hands, and never used it. The past faith is now vain, without any plan or without any purpose, for the one who has now rejected the way of truth. Truth says only those who truly desire salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul here begins to build his case for the resurrection of the dead. And then he proceeds to outline the resurrection of Christ and the many witnesses who could confirm it. When we look at 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, he begins his study here in verse 1. That's what we've been discussing. And then as he gets down around verse 5, it says that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still, are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. Last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So he talks about the fact of the resurrection of Christ. We had the prediction of the death, burial, and resurrection. We had the promise Christ made about his resurrection and our forgiveness of sins. 
And now he's talking about the resurrection itself. And he's confirming to the people. Not only have I seen it, <clears throat> but all the apostles have seen it. 500 other people have seen it. Peter has seen it. He's listing all the ones to prove to them physically that Christ arose from the dead. A lot of the people had doubts. And they needed confirmation. And so that's what he's trying to give them here. Not only must everyone know that Christ came to earth, but they must also know that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. This is the foundation of the gospel. A lot of people have heard the name Jesus, but they don't understand anything about him. It's sad to say, but it's true. We talked before about the fact that our nation has more atheists in it today than it has ever had in its history. They've heard the name Jesus, but they don't pay any attention to it. It doesn't mean anything to them. But we have to spread the word, not only to let them know about Jesus, but let them know who Jesus was. Why he died. What his resurrection meant. The idea of how salvation can be achieved through obedience to Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection. That's where we come in. Christ has done his part. And then he's turned the rest over to us. He's not going to come and personally testify to every single person on earth of who he is and who he was and what that meant. He's turned that over to us. That's our job. But if we don't tell the people who's going to. How does the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ be spread if Christians are not doing it? There are plenty out there who will be glad to talk to them about Mohammed and about John Smith and about many others in the religious world who are not followers of Christ. They're not slowing down. But I'm afraid sometimes we are. We are the only ones who have the truth. So we have to share the truth. Okay. And that's all I have for this morning. So I appreciate your attendance. And thank you very much.